we have something that we offer. We have a solution that we offer to our clients and our customers that helps them resolve some sort of an issue. Our job is to reach them, help them understand that there is hope, that there is a solution for them, and that we might be able to help. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Jeff Bajorek. He's an advisor and a coach to B2B sales leaders. He's an author and host of his own podcast titled Rethink the Way You Sell. And in this conversation from the archives of the Sales Enablement Podcast, Jeff and I dive into a range of topics. We start by exploring whether sales leaders are held to account for the right performance. I mean, if too few sellers as a percentage actually hitting their quotas, the blame usually falls on the seller. But really, who should be responsible for changing that? And we dive into whether the right perspective for sales managers to have is one of quality control. If less than 50% of sellers are hitting quoted, then doesn't it really mean that sales managers aren't developing a good product? You know, one that reliably works, that does its job? Sort of a QC issue. And we get into what sales leaders should be trained on, but probably aren't. So all this and much, much more before we get to Jeff, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to it. Certainly appreciate your help with that. And let's jump into it with Jeff. Jeff, welcome to the show. Uh, really good to be here. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, well, thanks for coming. It's just we were just uh, recently did the opposite. <laughs> I was on your show. <laughs> it's a home and home, isn't that what they call home it? And, that's true, home and home, right? <laughs> so, uh, how are things? Things are good. Things are good. I, I, it's um, you know, it's funny. You, there's always more to learn. There's always more to do. There's always more to develop. There's always room to grow. And I feel mm. like, you know, coming into 2022, I've said for the umpteenth year in a row, I think this is going to be the year. <laughs> and it just, it, and it feels like it's progressing that way. So oh, I'm, I'm pretty pleased. Good. So what would that mean? I mean? At the end of the year, if you look at end of 2022 and you look mm. back, what, what would that have meant? Mm. Much more focus um, in terms of, my marketing in terms of my content, in terms of um, my ability to develop and grow my own business. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's funny. I don't, I don't think we've talked about this, but, you know, I, I started my business in 2015 and things were different then. And, and the, the people that I looked up to, the people that um, I followed and, and watched and, and had mentor me, you know, it was very much, hey, just put good stuff out there. People will find it and then they will find you. And that really started to change not very long after that when social media and everything else, the content alone, like, like we're not hurting for content, right? There's so yeah. much out there no. that you couldn't stand out by being one of the creators anymore. And you couldn't just stand out by speaking more loudly, you know? Um, so you, you really have to pick a lane and, and stay in it. And that's something mm-hmm. that I've, I don't want to say struggled with. I've been hesitant to pick something because I still get so excited about what I do. It doesn't right. matter what it is. I love solving problems for people, but you can't just, you know, promote yourself as a problem solver and have people beat a path to your door. Yeah. Unless it's a specific type of problem, right? A very right. specific type of problem, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So what is that specific type of problem? I really, for me, I think it's helping people understand what selling really is that you don't have to do it a certain way. You can sell like you. And wow, where'd I heard that before? And 
<laughs> How about that? I'm holding up a copy of my book for, for, for the people at home so Jeff can see it. Well, and that's that's one of the things too. And, you know, and we talked about this, you know, recently, and, and that's one of the themes that comes through in your book so nicely that is hitting home with me. It's like, you know, you don't have to be salesy, right? Death to salesy. I love that hashtag. I love yep. that promotion for the book and everything like that. But you have um, codified what that means for people. And, and help them see that they can see themselves in their sales career, right. in their sales lives. Right. And, you know, I, I was reluctant to sell. I, someone suggested that I get into sales. And I was like, is there someone standing behind me that I'm getting, am I in the middle of your conversation? Like, what do you mean? Am I being pranked? Yeah. And um, it wasn't until a couple of years later where I realized that there was so much of myself that I could bring to this career, to this profession, rather than trying to feel as if I had to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, I still think there are so many people out there, very well-meaning, very well-intended people who just want to do a good job, but don't realize that the best way to do the best job is to really be yourself and really yes. just kind of let your... Let your own creativity, let your own talents shine through. But the, the not the pushback, but the talk you hear around that from sellers, and I, yeah, it's just in the last week since I released Sell Without Selling Out, mm -hmm. and yeah, I'm now going on a bunch of podcasts and, and talking about the book, and is that the sense as well, as a seller, do I really have the freedom to go do that? Mm -hmm. Right, because my manager wants me to act a certain way and do certain things, and, and you know, part of the reason I wrote the book was I could tell from all the conversations I have with people is that yeah, they're feeling restrained by that, right, mm -hmm. and oppressed by it, if not. And so I wanted to show the example of what I have done myself and what other people have done is to say, yeah, I'm. I'm not going to work for sales. I'm going to make sales work for me. Right. I was in that position. Um, and, you know, it came down to the point, you know, for me where I was like, you know, if I can't do it this way, then maybe selling is just not for me. Exactly. And I, I at some point you, you come to a point where you just need to trust it. And I made this deal with my manager. I just started a new job. And actually the guy that hired me decided to step down as a manager and he stepped down to be a rep. The territory became open. And so he was my colleague, not, you know, mm -hmm. my, my, uh, uh, report anymore. And so we both started working for this other guy. And so I was a couple months in and he said, so what you're going to wait, you're going to, what you're, what do you, and I said, well, this is the way I'm approaching it. Hmm? I'm here. You, you guys hired me for a reason. Let me prove it. And right. if it doesn't work, I'll do it. I'll, 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 I'm all ears. I'll pay right. attention. Right. But I think this is what needs to be done. You trusted me with the position. Now trust me and, and my skills and what I think I need to do. And, uh, and it, and it worked. Now I knew that the burden was heavy for me at first, right? I, I knew sure. that there was a magnifying glass on me and, and, you know, but it, like it, if you can't trust yourself in that situation, then what are you doing? Well, they, exactly. If you can't trust yourself, and if you can't be trusted, you know, if your manager won't extend the trust and the autonomy and the agency for you to go out and be yourself, right? Then what are you doing? Yeah, I mean this this whole idea of, of 
that some managers lean too far into in terms of, yeah, managing, I guess our friend Mike Weinberg talked, you know, metrics jockeys or whatever he called it oh, is, right. yeah. is, is at that point you're babysitting, you're not managing, <laughs> you're not oh. leading, you're not helping people. And, and I liken those managers to like helicopter parents. Mm-hmm. And so how do people develop the self-sufficiency? How do they do? Cause you want them to be self-sufficient. <laughs> you, want, you don't want them to be reliant on a process or you want them to be reliant on themselves and their ability to, operate in a situation that is somewhat unique. Selling is not, my mentor, you say there's no recipe for it. There's no cookbook for it. I agree. You can't just, and so many people are looking for a a paint by numbers kind of recipe or, or or a a how to guide. And, And again, I think it's because they just want to do a good job. I think most people want to follow the rules. They want to show up. They want to do good work. They want to be proud of what they accomplish and they yes. want to move on. And, right. and so there's, there's such good intention behind it, but you have to understand what needs to be done, not, not just how to do something. And, you know, I, the best manager I ever had is a, a really good friend and, and mentor of mine. And I saw what he did in the field and he drove out of his way to come spend time with me. And mm-hmm. he mentored me. And we had coffee before calls and we had beers after calls and we spent a ton of our wives joked about how much time we were spending together. But he invested in me the way people need to be invested in. And he let the reporting and all that other stuff take a back seat yep. to the time, the, the, the best time we could spend during the regular workday. Right. Was the time spent in front of customers, time spent demoing, time spent, you know, just strategizing. And, you know, every once in a while I'd go out to his house and he'd, it'd be jeans and a sweatshirt and we would just, you know, talk and plan and, and scheme and things like that. But he was someone that I never saw behind a computer unless we were on an airplane together or, or you know, something mm-hmm. else. And the worst managers I've ever worked for were only behind their computer, just right. doing what the numbers were telling them. And there was a lack of intuition there. There was a lack of your finger on the pulse of what's really going on. There was a disconnection between management level and what was going on in the front lines. How do you manage someone in a situation you're unfamiliar with? Oh yeah. Well, but I think you, I think you just hit such a key point though, to it with the manager, basically let the reporting go by the wayside, right? Mm-hmm. Is, I mean, I'm sure not completely, but no, it wasn't as high as priority. Right. And I talk about this in the book, for you as an individual contributor who's reading it is you have this obligation if to become the best version of yourself, you're going to have to push back from time to time mm-hmm. on direction you get or suggestions you get or whatever. If they don't align with what you think is the best way to approach things, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to be held accountable for the numbers as you did, but you want to be given the freedom and the agency to go out to you know, operate. Well, managers, you have the same obligation. Mm-hmm. If you have a boss that's saying, look, reports, 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 and you can't make the case to them that, well, you're forcing me to prioritize this bureaucratic bullshit over working with my people and making them better. Then perhaps you don't belong in that job. <laughs> sales managers forget that they're still in sales. They forget that the people on their team are their customers now. They forget that the people that they report to are their customers. Anytime you ask someone to do something, you're making a sales call. So mm-hmm. when you need help from someone up the, the chain, treat them like a customer. Approach right. that conversation like you would a customer. When Absolutely. you are trying to lead a team, you're trying to get people to do things for you that they wouldn't do if it weren't for you asking. That sounds like a sales call. 
Have you approached it that way? Have you thought about it that way? Have you thought about treating your team, your managers? If you're a frontline rep in the field, your, your sales manager is a customer of yours. You're going to need to ask her for something at some point, and you're going to hope she says yes. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just such an interesting dynamic shift when you think about it that way. And it changes the way you behave and it changes the way you think about things. And it pulls you out of these tidy little lanes and, and um, tracks that we'd like to be in because they're safe. When there's boundaries around us, when we know we just have to go straight, when we know that we're doing things that are plausible and won't get us in trouble, we feel safe. But those often aren't the best things to do. They're often not what needs to be done and they ignore what actually needs to be done. And mm-hmm. it's reckless to say, hey, you got to break a bunch of rules if you want to be successful. No, you have to be willing to break the rules when necessary in order to be successful, when the rules that are in place don't apply. And there's a great amount of responsibility that comes along with that. But you really need to understand the dynamics. I always, I always, um, I got, uh, I got accused one time at a national sales meeting, actually, of uh, taking the red pill when I should have taken the blue pill or taking the blue pill when I should have taken the red pill. And I was just – was a, Precisely. Uh, and, and I was a sellout to corporate and I just did whatever corporate wanted. And, oh, right, you right, know, right, right. and I was like, no, no, I, I want my best interest to be aligned with the company's best interest because I want to know why they're asking me to do what they're doing. Right? Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that – and look – if my best interest can't be aligned with the companies, then I'm at the wrong company. But exactly. I, I wanted to, I always asked my managers, try to get a, um, an understanding of why they were doing what they were doing. Help me understand why we're, why you're leading us this way. Mm-hmm. Cause I want to be helpful. I, right. I want to, you know, fall in line if I can, rather than constantly putting up resistance and arguing and things. And it was just, it, it's interesting when you, I think when you approach that dynamic, as, as I mentioned, where the people on your team are your customers, you can get everybody in line that way. It makes it easier to manage that way. It makes it easier to be on a team that way. It mm-hmm. feels like we all know where we're going, how we're going to get there, why we're going to get there, and maybe when we're going to get there. And that allows us to work together better um, instead of, well, just tell me what to do so I can do it. And if it works out, I'll take all the credit. And if it doesn't work out, I'll take none of the blame because all I did was everything you told me. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, what, what are the themes that you've been sort of writing about recently? I've seen in some posts is this idea that sellers are complaining a little too much without putting the work in. So what was sort of motivating that? Actually, that I remember that post specifically. Um, I was, I had a, just a, a, a group coaching session, um, you know, in, in my community, we have some people mm-hmm. that kind of pay for a subscription or whatever. And, and they, they come in and, and one of these leaders was talking about how he couldn't get his team or not that he couldn't get his team, but he was struggling because his team was finding things to complain about. And it happened in that coaching session. It also happened maybe a day earlier with another client who was talking and, and I was doing some uh, leading some training sessions for them too. And just kind of fielding these objections. And I'm like, this is the job. Like, wait, are we really here at, a, we're talking about, you don't have, you don't have your, your opportunity, your pipeline's not full and you don't know what work to do. Like, hold on, what is going on? You have your lists, you have your messaging, you know, the problems that you solve, you have all the tools that you need. 
in order to get out there and, and do the work, the, the missing ingredient is your effort right now. Like, wh- why is this a shock to people? And, you know, Andy, you've been doing this long enough too. you, you see these things come back up and, and I'm sure you've said, wait, is this still an issue? Are we really still here right now? I thought we had solved this. Right. And it just, I don't know, to me, it's a lesson that I, I continue to take things for granted, I guess, that I shouldn't. But I mean, at the very basic level, we have something that we offer. We have a solution that we offer to our clients and our customers that helps them resolve some sort of an issue. Mm-hmm. Our job is to reach them, help them understand that there is hope, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That there is a solution for them and that we might be able to help. Um, if those people are knocking on our door, then maybe we don't need to reach out. If they're not knocking on our door, we have a responsibility to knock on theirs. Yes. But our job is to solve problems for people who need help. And if we're fortunate, and most of us are, we help in a way that is reasonably differentiated from our competitors in the space. And that gives us something worth talking about on a regular basis. If we're not talking, that's on us. But you see, it's really easy and it's really convenient for people to say, oh, well, I don't have the right technology or my marketing department didn't give me the right leads or we don't have this. This could be better. This could, uh, you know, there's this internal thing over here I heard at the water cooler that I just don't like. And it's like, (laughs) what are we here to do? Let's do that first. And if there's time, maybe we can indulge that water uh, water cooler conversation. But- yeah, I mean, I, I think there's sort of, yeah, well, you're sort of leading down this path. I'd have talked to people about this. As, I remember meeting this one guy that I knew at a conference, and he was sort of senior AE type, and he was horrified that he was being asked to prospect. And I said, well, why? Yeah, did you expect <laughs> you're going to do that? Well, no, yeah, we got SDRs, but we don't have enough pipeline. And said, so you don't have enough opportunities to work on. You're just going to wait for an SDR to pop one or mm-hmm. pick up the phone and call somebody. Mm-hmm. Maybe call an existing client. Maybe call your best client. Ask them why Ask they bought from you. Right. Yeah. You know, it's um, when you turn over responsibility for your livelihood to somebody else, it's problematic. Mm. It's really nice when you do have, uh, and look, who would not want the opportunity to have qualified leads placed on their desk or on their calendar for them? Like, that's great. And if yeah, you have signed me up, and if you have earned the respect and the right, see, this is another thing that I've seen is there are a lot of rookie salespeople who see the top performers who have been doing it for 30 years who don't feel like they have to do any outbound prospecting anymore. They just, the referrals come to them, the, the account management, the account maintenance, just the, the growth within the accounts comes. Right. They make it look way easier than it actually is because they've been doing it for 30 so years. So long, yeah. Well, they, they were in the same spot those people were in. Yeah, it's like you're 27 years old. You don't know anything about anything and you just want to show up and have that guy's job? Like, that's not how it works. That guy's been doing this long. You've been alive and you are discrediting the effort that he and she, in a lot of cases, have put in, in order to achieve that status there. Why don't you ask them how they started, not ask them what they do now? Right. And there's, um, and I don't want to, I'm going to sound like the grumpy old neighbor, get off my lawn, entitlement and rabble, 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 right? But it's like, 
again, let's focus on what needs to be done. We need qualified opportunities to, to work as salespeople. If those are coming in for us, great. And if they're not, then whose butt is on the line for the number? Who's, who signed for that quota? Who, you know, uh, um, agreed that they could produce this amount of revenue? Sometimes you're going to need to pitch in and help because that's the job. I can't put it any other way. You got to do what you have to do. Mm-hmm. As I put it, and I wrote about this in my second book, I said, you know, yeah, ideal scenario for every salesperson theoretically is, I call it sort of utopian is, mm-hmm. yeah, you have this you know, fountain of inbound leads, qualified inbound leads that are coming in and life would be great, right? You'd just be working those. But in the absence of that, what are you going to do? And, not and none, doing- of us, none of us live in utopia. We all have the opportunity and the responsibility to develop new business. And not doing anything because there's nothing to be done. Now, there's always something to be done. And sometimes right. that plagues me. I'll admit that it plagues, you know, I'm, I'm finding things to keep busy or, or I'm never at a loss of things to keep busy. And sometimes I do things that aren't as important as should be. Right. You know, that, that's an easy trap for people to fall sure. into. But, well, that's not my job. No, producing revenue is your job and everything underneath it falls on you. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, it's, it's funny you mentioned asking for referrals. I think there are really four types of clients, four, four, four types of prospects, really. There are those that are growable and accessible, right? They're, maybe they're current clients. Maybe they are brand new prospects, hot prospects that have been mm-hmm. introduced to you, okay? There are those that are very growable but not accessible. That's where most of your outbound prospecting efforts go. Mm-hmm. There are those that are... Um, not growable, but very accessible. Those are your 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 favorites, right? right. That's your milk run, right? right? And then there are those that are not growable and not accessible. We don't really have to worry about them. Most sales reps, when they manage their territories, like to hang out where they're very welcome and there's a ton of access, but there's not a whole bunch of growability there. Mm-hmm. And that's a nice, safe, warm place to go. You take your manager when she comes into town and, and you get the, the back slaps and, and all that stuff. They're not growable though. So by definition, that's not where you should be spending your time. How do you still make use of your access? Well, you ask for referrals, mm-hmm. right? And, and you ask for help. You ask for testimonials. You ask for, you do market research. Yeah. Why did study. you, yeah. Why, why did you, why did you buy from me the first time? Why do you continue to buy from us? What do you love about us that you don't get from anywhere else? That, that market research gives you the language, not just to find more customers, but to find more customers like them, right? Not every customer is worth having and you'll never have a better day right. in sales than when you fire your worst customer. Mm-hmm. So be careful about the ones you're asking to, to replicate. But there's this safety, there's this comfort there that, you know, look, after a day of getting door slammed in your face and getting hung up on, I can see why you would want that, but at least make it worthwhile, and that's something that a lot of people, right? They, those are the opportunities you're missing. Okay, your SDR is not getting you qualified leads. Go get some for yourself. Don't make it any more difficult than it needs to be. <laughs> well, it's, it's not at that point, right? Um, like, yeah. Well, so but that, to raise the question, as I was reading that post, is like, okay, so what are the role? What's the role of the manager in this? You know, so if you have sellers who mm-hmm. aren't just doing the work, mm-hmm. yeah, where's the manager accountability there? <sighs> Well, accountability is, uh, 
I mean, I, I can count, but that's a four letter word to a lot of people. Right. Mm. And, and it's, well, I'm not a micromanager. I'm a, I'm a player's coach. I'm a, I'm just going to let people do because great salespeople need to be their own people and they need to, they need to do it their own way. Wait, Andy, wait, Jeff, you're telling me that I should encourage my people to do it their own way. I'm going to get out of their way. No. Accountability is a partnership. Right. Micromanagement, not a partnership. Micromanagement is a nightmare. Right. But accountability is a partnership. Andy, if I'm reporting to you, if you're my leader, we're going to sit down at the beginning of the year, beginning of the quarter, maybe the beginning of the month. And we're going to talk about expectations. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about what you need me to bring in in terms of revenue. And I'm going to look you in the eye and I'm going to say, yep, I've got that. Or I might have to tell you. I don't think that's coming because of the timing of this deal is not going to close until maybe the beginning of the next quarter. Year looks good. Quarter looks sketchy. Mm-hmm. How do you want to handle this? Transparency is vital when it comes to right. these things. But we're going to agree upon a number. And then I'm going to deliver it. And if I'm falling short, you're going to ask me why. And I owe you an answer. Now, if you ask me, to deliver a number. And I don't think I can give it to you because you or someone, you as a representative of the larger company, haven't given me what I need. Then you owe it to me to hear me out why I don't think that's a reasonable expectation of me. Okay. Mm -hmm. In most cases, the expectations are reasonable. They should be anyway, but that's where the two-way partnership comes from. Now, here's the deal. Nobody works better in the absence of accountability than they would with a culture of accountability. And it's not about, well, I'm going to leave my top performers alone because they're doing great. Your top performers will perform even better when they know someone with their best interest in mind is looking out for them, looking after them, paying attention. It always happens that way. It's why, you know, you can be in great shape, but still have a personal trainer at the gym. It's why Mm -hmm. the best golfers in the world have coaches. It's why, I mean, everybody, you know, the best ball players, they're still being coached constantly. When you know, someone's looking out for you, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to do better. Right. So accountability, when you think of it as a partnership, you're creating an environment for success, you know, versus a, you know, a dictatorship where give me those numbers or else. Or else. Well, but here's, here's, so let's sort of extend that a little bit further. Sure. Because yeah, we see the reports like from CSO Insights or Bravado came out with a report recently. Only 46% of sellers are making quota. (laughs) So who's responsible? Who's accountable for that? Who's accountable for it or who's responsible for it? (laughs) Well, I mean, that's shared responsibilities. But I mean, yes, we have a scenario where... Okay, let's assume this this data is correct, right? Is we see it from a couple of different sources. All right, a lot of variables play in terms of quota setting and so on. But just mm-hmm. in general, just looking at that number, you'd say, "Wow, what I'm seeing is a real failure of management." And I see that a lot when companies want to bring me in to train their salespeople. Mm-hmm. All the sales training in the world is not going to move the needle. If there isn't an environment to sell, if there isn't a, a uh, an environment conducive to selling, right? Mm-hmm. And accountability is a big part of that environment. 
and enabling the team is a big part of that environment and um, creating the space for the people to actually execute and not burdening them with distractions mm-hmm. and, and, and other things. There's so much more to it. But typically, and this is kind of a funny story. Um, there was a, uh, I spoke at this event and uh, a, a owner of a company came up to me and said, I think you can help our team. So we set up a call. There, mm-hmm. He said, we have some people on our team that aren't performing as well as others. And we'd like some training for the team to help encourage some good performance. I sure. said, okay. Um, how are they doing against quota? Well, we don't have quotas. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. cool. Then how modern. All right. I'm, I'm in with that. Um, how about the comp plan? Are they commissioned? Are, I mean, are, are, are people leaving money on the table? What do you mean they're not performing well? well? We don't commission our salespeople either. Okay. So you say they're underperforming. I said, says who and compared to what? Right. Right. And they said, oh my God, Jeff, we have a sales management problem. We don't need sales training. We need sales management training. I said, okay, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves here, but let's take a look at the bigger picture. And in this case, these are, were forgivable sins, right? This was a, a family-owned company. They do custom woodworking and furniture and cabinetry, and they do great, great work. And their designers were um, acting as floor salespeople. They, right. People were walking in, they're doing interior design work, and they're putting together quotes. These were not and, – and they wanted to avoid commission because they didn't want their designers stepping all over people, each other, mm-hmm. you know, and creating a bad environment. And sure. they didn't want to set quotas because they didn't want – you know, it was really all walk-in business. And the company was thriving. So there were a lot of things that you can do wrong and still do well as a company. But – it was just interesting and it kind of goes to what, you know, your book is is all about and, and what a lot of my messaging is all around is that you're, you're trying to be so anti that thing that you hate that you're forgetting what still needs to be done. Mm-hmm. We still need to have objectives. We still need to have frameworks. We still need to have an environment yep. that is conducive to um, the, the sales process. And so when 46% of reps, when, when less than half of reps are hitting quota – I think that's a leadership issue. I think that is. Oh, well, that's why I asked the question. I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's it. Most people have enough skills, unless you're brand new or it's a career change or whatever. Most people have enough skills once they're shown the guidelines to make sales. It's that they're afraid to do the things that they feel they need to do, but haven't been explicitly told to do. Mm-hmm. And they're afraid to – people are so afraid to get things wrong that they are unwilling to try to get them right. Wasn't there a, a – I like to liken it to quality control. Isn't there a quality control aspect to this? I mean as a, as a manager, you're mm-hmm. basically shaping this product that is the salesperson. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think <laughs> – I think – uh, you're not in a business where there's going to be a, you know, hundred percent defect free right? because Dona wins all their deals, but it seems like in general sort of acceptance of subpar performance, if such a high fraction of sellers aren't hitting their quota. I mean, if you are a factory manager making you know, widgets with that high sort of defect rate as it's called is, is yeah, you wouldn't last long in the job. Right. So I don't know. It, it's, I, it gets into a large discussion about, hey, do we need quotas, for instance? But assuming we keep quotas, mm-hmm. you know, I was just thinking about this the other day. It's like, well, gosh, we just 
may change the comp for sales managers. So he's told a sales manager, look, your comp, you're going to get paid a certain dollar amount for every rep that hits quota this year. Now, wait a second. Let me, let me continue that. Mm-hmm. Because we know that one of the problems with <clears throat> quota attainment is just completely, excuse my French share, batshit crazy way that quotas are set right. in many companies. <laughs> yeah. That that would sort of fix that. I mean, if, if you suddenly comped managers based on a certain dollar amount for each rep that you have that attains their quota, mm-hmm. I would think they'd get very sane about quota setting very quickly. If it's the manager who sets the quotas. Well, I mean, I'm saying up and down the chain, not just frontline yeah. manager, everybody in the sure. sales leadership chain, your compensation is based on the number mm-hmm. of reps that hit the number. Mm-hmm. And so a, you have an incentive to set a reasonable goal. And then you have an incentive to actually seriously enable these people and not just, you know, do hit and miss and, does not but you, but you know, bring in Jeff yeah. one day a year and say, okay, we fulfilled our obligation to train the reps. Right. But to get serious about developing people on a daily basis throughout the year. I mean, yeah. I, I, right before the pandemic, I'd spoke at a, a private equity firm's meeting of their portfolio CEOs. Mm-hmm. And, and I was, had did a little presentation and stopped was doing Q and a, and I was just sort of curious. I asked them, this was toward the end of the, the year in 2019. I said, so, how many of you are going to raise quotas next year? They all raise their hand. Mm-hmm. Great. Let's score on them. You know, give me a sense of you know, how much you're going to raise them by. And it's, you know, it's, let's say roughly 10 to 15%. Sure. I said, okay, well, let me ask this question. How many of you have invested sufficiently that your sellers are 10% more capable this year than they were this year? Mm-hmm. No one. Right. So, so I'm saying, so as I asked, I said, so you're going to go ahead and raise quotas, even though you haven't invested in helping your people become more capable. I just, I just want to make sure everybody's clear about that. There's a silence around the room. It's like, and, and even though less than half of them hit the number this year, you're confident that they're all going to hit this number next year. Well, not only this number plus more, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think, um, we have an expectation issue, right? And, and there are a, a couple, and there's two ways I want to go with this. And so I'm going to try to keep my train of thought straight. There's an expectation issue because there are people like you and like me who talk about sales processes and trusting a process. And when you focus on a process, you get results. And when you focus on results, you get frustrated. So let's make sure we're doing enough of the right things. And we can reasonably uh, assume that if enough of the things go our way, we're going to be in this ballpark. We should be able to, I can commit to that number. Well, then we can make anybody a seller. And if they, if we just make sure they do the work and if we, and the beatings will continue until morale improves and we will get the results. And um, so there's this lack of awareness around how long that actually takes and what the um, requirements are for a position and, and for an employee in that kind of a position. And, 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 oh, all, it also eliminates the possibility of anything not going to plan, like right. an addition to the family, a, a loss in the family, a pandemic, um, you know, right. The, right. anything. And it's like, hold on, we, we don't do this in a vacuum. If we sold in a vacuum, then yeah, it could give you much more repeatable uh, results. 
but we don't. And so from the top down, all of a sudden it's, we're going to grow 35% this year. Okay. Why? Sounded like a good number. I think we Mm. can do it. Oh, because our investors need to return on their investment right away. Okay. Have your investors ever worked in this industry? Nope. They just have a lot of money. Do, Do they have any idea what it's like to sell in this industry? Nope. But they want to return on their investment. And if we don't have their money, we don't exist as a company. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a that's quite a predicament. <laughs> like, you know, the other way I wanted to go with this too, and I don't think enough managers, enough leaders do this. I think if I'm leading a team and I go to each rep and I say, this is your quota and I want you to grow 15% this year. I believe I'm responsible to answer them when they say, why? Mm-hmm. I, I believe that I need to provide them with a little bit of insight Wait, other than because? Other than because. And right. not because, well, and, and I've gotten this way too many times. I get the shoulder shrug that, you know, hey, they're asking me to grow it. Yeah, out of my hands, yeah. So um, it's got to come from somewhere. And, you know, Jeff, you're my guy. I know you can do this. If anybody on this team can do it, you can do it. I'm like, that's not good enough, man. I, I, I want to hear, I took a look at your territory. And look, Andy, I don't know your territory nearly as well as you do. So please correct me if I'm wrong here. But we've got this new line extension coming that I think will fit at this count in this account. Um, we're going to raise prices 3% you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the first quarter. So that should give you a little bit of a bump. You got a pretty good pipeline. We got a good reputation. I know you're working on some things that you've showed me in our monthly meetings that where we go over results. I think you have this in you this year. What am I missing? Andy, you leave that meeting in a completely different mood, in a completely different mindset, ready to run through a brick wall and hit that number. Then if I say, all right, Andy, your number is 12.5% this year. You got this? Okay, thanks. I got some other people I got to go, you know, or even worse, an email, please print, sign, and return that you're going to have this. And it's like... One time I was being a smart aleck, and I just always better than being a dumb aleck, by the way. And I said, uh, what if I don't sign this? <laughs> and he's like, and? It, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it's going to happen. That's right. <laughs> it's like your performance review. What if it, I don't sign the performance review? It's yeah, still, yeah. Yeah. Does that mean it didn't happen? No, it means yeah. it's going in your file without your signature. Oh, okay. that's right. <sighs> yeah. I just well, think, let me ask you. Yeah, go ahead. Question is, is... In your mind, what's sort of the one thing that most frontline sales managers should know but probably don't? Mm. Oh, wow. What a great question because there's so many things. You get one. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that frontline managers should know that they don't. It's not their fault that they don't, but, you know, that they haven't been enabled with it. But, yeah, the one thing they should really know but – just probably don't. Oh, wow. I'd like to, I, I, I think it's, and I think we've already talked about it. I think your, your, your team are your new customers now. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. That's what I got. And that's, that's, that kind of, that's the foundation for my leadership and, and management philosophy. So but that's the thing that I, I think, I think that's what most salespeople, most sales leaders forget. Right. And, and they're not, your team's not obedient to you because you've been promoted. Your team is not obedient to you because your title says manager. You still have to lead people and you need to lead from the front 
right? You, you need to mm-hmm. make sure that you're willing to roll up your sleeves and, and have your team see you doing the work that you expect from them, if only to show them that it's possible. But you still have to inspire them. You, you've not earned the right to get out of the field and put your feet up and, and just watch the dashboards and, and the spreadsheets. It, yeah. Yeah. But I think you're, I think you're absolutely right with the, the customer approach. I mean, as I talk about in my book is, is our job as sellers is to go out and listen to our buyers, understand what's the most important things to them mm-hmm. and then help them get those. Mm-hmm. And isn't that what we should be doing as a manager is understand for each of our people, what's the most important thing for them that they're trying to accomplish whether it's career, money, financial security, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then say, okay, how can, let's see how we can help you get that. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what that most important thing is for each of your people, that's a big problem. Yeah. It, uh, it's time to get on a plane Yep, and it's time to get in the car with them. It's time to, it's time to get on a plane just to buy them a cup of coffee in their backyard you know, mm-hmm. if they're working remotely or, or whatever, it, it's time to, um, it's time to learn that. Yep. Because otherwise you're sort of missing one of the one or two key levers, right? In terms of being able to help people, knowing what to help them with and to motivate them. Otherwise you're just assuming. And those well, assumptions, yeah. you know, those, those assumptions go, go awry. Um, that was one of the reasons that I, I mean, I was offered, I was offered an opportunity to take my manager's job as he got promoted. There was a vacancy mm-hmm. and uh, I, I turned it down. He said, you don't even want the interview. I said, no, I, I, don't, I don't, I don't want the job. I mean, I'll interview for the sake of interview, but I don't want the job. Yeah. Right. And I, you know, it was, it was more travel, less control, a bigger number, more pressure and less money. I was like, right. What is wrong with this picture, dude? Well, <laughs> You know, if you ever want to be, you ever want to grow in this industry, you're going to need to do it this way. I said, oh, hold on right there. You just made the assumption that I wanted to continue on this path. Right, right. We haven't talked about this at all. And, um, you know, I stayed with the company a few more years, but there was, it was clear that there wasn't the place for me anymore. But um, we can't make those assumptions. You can't assume that salespeople are just coin operated. You, you can't assume that um, everybody wants upward mobility within the company. You know, it's funny. I, I, after I started with this company, I hit like my first – I hit a lot. After I had hit like my first three quarters, I got a handwritten note with a $20 Starbucks card in it from the vice president of the division. boy. That Starbucks card lasted, I don't know. Three minutes, right? <laughs> the card was up on my bulletin board in my office for three years because it was just that additional recognition. I was getting paid very well for what I did. Right. I thought the compensation was fair. I didn't need anything extra, but this handwritten note, like that would, that attaboy was really cool. When it was something very cordial and, and personal, it was like, hey, I see what you're doing. I like it. Keep it up. Great work. Yep. We're, we're better for having you. Yep. Awesome. You know what I mean? Uh, that was worth more to me than certainly the the gift card and, you know, probably worth more to me than what a bigger gift card would have been worth to me. You know what I mean? But yeah. you, didn't, when, you didn't need the $100 gift card. No. And but to, when when you when you make those assumptions, you remove yourself from the day-to-day process of interacting and interfacing with your customers. Right? Your yeah, team. Your, your team. You don't you don't know what 
what drives them, what motivates them, what moves them, then how are you going to lead them right. if you don't know where they want to go? Well, just like your buyers. A hundred percent. How can you help them achieve what they want to achieve if you don't know what it is? Right. Right. And basically. Right. And so then we could talk about how important discovery is and how most people want to skip through discovery to get to the selling part and they forget that discovery is the selling part. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's when you just go in and you try to pitch somebody something or make these assumptions that this, since you are my ideal client, this must be your problem. This must be, this must make my solution just, the clear. I'm just here to persuade winner. you to buy my product. That's, again, it, and I, I love your your difference, your breakdown between influence and persuasion, because persuasion relies on so many assumptions, mm-hmm. and again distills selling down into some science based math problem versus really doing the work to understand the problem to help make your prospect aware of problems they don't even know they have not in a manipulative way but getting them giving them the space to explore and say things out loud that they've never said out loud before how many times have you had that conversation and they go they sit back in their chair like oh my god i never thought about it that way yeah well that's the value of your curiosity you're going to unlock that in them so okay unfortunately jeff (laughs) we're running out of time and we're just uncovering the problems. We haven't even solved the problems yet. We're just uncovering them today. <laughs> How did that so we'll happen? Have, we'll have you come back and we'll, we'll solve the world's problems next I time. I like it. All right. So if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Um, JeffBajorek.com. Um, you, can, you can find me there um, on LinkedIn, obviously. And uh, my podcast, Rethink the Way You Sell. This is your new podcast. It is. It so is. Very, very excited the other one about for it. five years, right? The Why and the Buy lasted 432 episodes in five years. Um, nice. Christy and I are very, very proud of that. And it was a tough decision it to- It should be, absolutely. Yeah, it was a tough decision to lay it down. Um, but, I mean, we were both very real with ourselves and with each other. And it was, you know what? Five years after we started it, it's probably not the show that either one of us would start right now. Mm-hmm. So do we want right. to keep this up just for the sake of keeping it up? Because I think we can both do better. And, um, it was, it was, that's how much faith and trust I have in her. And that's how much I know she has in me when we could do something like that and, and, and be so proud of it and not have anything wrong with it. We could keep doing it, but is this the right thing to do? And, uh, so we, we did that. We, we, we put it down. So name of the new show again, rethink the way you sell, rethink the way you sell. Perfect. Well, Jeff, thank you. As always, we'll do this again. Andy, this is great. Thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Jeff Bajorek, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.